am I really buying more of a solution than I than I maybe need, uh, which in some cases is is exactly what you want to do. And this seemed to be a, a I agree with you based on what I've seen. It seems to kind of fit in between that SMB and enterprise level, definitely sizable companies that they represent with their solution, and seems to have a a pretty deep amount of functionality. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. The debate about whether a platform should be more business versus developer friendly is classic. Even the platforms that might claim to be friendly for business users might struggle with aesthetically pleasing interfaces. But AppServer takes a very different approach with their rich CMS that is already integrated with several ERP platforms popular in the industrial space. The B2B space also has very different needs with customer-specific pricing and the availability of products for specific customer groups and divisions. So how is AppServer positioned among other headless vendors in the enterprise-grade platforms such as SAP, Salesforce, or Oracle Commerce Cloud. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss API server, digital commerce, or optimized lease capabilities. We discuss their strengths and weaknesses and why they have one of the friendliest CMS for B2B mid-market companies. Finally, we discussed their evolution, acquisition journey, their limitations compared to the other enterprise platforms and how their A-B testing might be different. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern and we review one vendor or the solution. And today we have a very interesting vendor or the solution. They are known in the, again, I'm going to use the word industrial distribution. That seems to be the theme of this week of the solutions that we have reviewed in the ERP series as well as e-commerce series. So these guys are really known in the industrial distribution space in the B2B category for e-commerce. So we are going to have a lot of uh, fun discussing that before we do that. We are going to start with our panel's intro. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta, principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. And e-commerce is everything that we do here. And I have been doing the ERP e-commerce engagements for roughly 20 years. And now I am going to move to Dave for his intro. Thanks, Sam. Hi, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own an operations consulting company working with manufacturing leaders to help them create systems throughout their business, leveraging planning people, process, and technology uh, to operate with excellence. So I come to you with more than 20 years of operations management and leadership experience, and excited to be here with you, Sam. Thanks. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. And if you're in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys uh, post their questions and comments. Uh, we typically try to address them during the show. If you run out of time, then we'll make sure that you receive your answers. On that note, Dave, I am going to start with a quick briefing. And you know how I like to think about these solutions. I'm typically trying to find the place of everybody in the value chain and I do believe that everybody sort of has uh, their own niche and uh, and the strengths and weaknesses, right? So they are going to be good for a specific purpose. So now when we think about API server, digital commerce, or optimized lead solution, as I pointed out before, 
that they are targeted for that B2B space. And now, even in the e-commerce uh, world, the solutions are typically targeted for either B2B and B2C. And if you look at, if you compare this offering with, for example, Salesforce Commerce, they, that is more of the enterprise solution. We have reviewed some more solutions here. For example, let's say if you compare this with SAP Hybris, Oracle Commerce, Spiker is going to be a slightly newer one. So uh, if you look at the overarching distribution of these solutions, you have one layer that is called SMB, which is going to be small to medium-sized businesses, and then you have the enterprise solution. Then there is another way of segmenting the solution. That is going to be your headless versus sort of the, the legacy solution. And then you have the B2C and B2B segmentation as well. So these are probably three major layers in which you can segment these solutions. So now, API server, especially if you think more from the size perspective, whether they are going to be SMB versus enterprise, my understanding of their offering is going to be that this is probably slightly more upper to mid-size uh, segment. So it's not going to be uh, you know completely small where you are going to have players such as, for example, Shopify uh, could work for very small companies as well. The comparable here, especially in the B2B space, Shopify is moving in the B2B space, but they are not going to be as strong as some of the other solutions that we have in the market for B2B, for example, BigCommerce. BigCommerce is known for that B2B space. So Episodware is probably going to be competing with them. But if you look at the feature sets that B2B companies typically require in the e-commerce space, they are very, very, very deep, very, very, very rich, okay? So if you compare this with, let's say, B2C versus B2B, in the case of B2C, you are going to have solutions that is going to have very deep headless sort of experience, especially the newer ones. In the B2B uh, space, even the companies that are trying to position their solutions in the B2B space, they don't typically have that, that same headless experience. Their data model is going to be slightly richer overall in the B2B category. So that's the overarching distribution. Now, we have seen some of the very interesting layers, especially in the B2B space. So some companies, especially if you look at solutions such as Oracle Commerce, SAP Hybris, the way they like to approach this is going to be that they are trying to position their solution as, okay, I am going to do a slightly more presentation layer, and then it's going to have the backend layer. So the way API Server is approaching this is going to be, they have very friendly platform for marketers so they are probably going to be a little comparable with uh, you know oracle commerce oracle commerce likes to do the same thing as well uh, their solution is very friendly for marketers when you are looking for you know let's say promoting the code or when you are looking for the version management of the e-commerce offering so overall api server number one is uh, you know they are targeted for b2b industrial distribution is going to be their play they are not going to be as headless as some of the modern platform they are going to be targeted for upper uh, mid-size segment. They are probably not going to have as deep enterprise capabilities as you are going to have with SAP Ibris, especially when you think about the IT management capabilities in the e-commerce space. They are not going to have that. So I'm probably going to pause there uh, you know, for any commentary, any thoughts, any questions you might have, Dave. Yeah, you covered a lot there, Sam. And and I think it was good how you unpacked all of the different, you know, kind of aspects uh, of not only this solution, but covered some additional solutions as well. And how, you know, this really breaks down because, I, you know, from kind of outside looking in, I think that's one of the challenges with any type of technology solution that we've looked at, whether it's in this series or, you know, the digital transformation series, um, you know, it, it's a challenge to understand what bucket does it fall into? Am I, am I really buying more of a solution than I, than I maybe need? Uh, which in some cases is, you know, is exactly what you want to do. And this seemed to be a, a uh, I agree with you based on what I've seen. It seems to kind of fit in between that SMB and enterprise level, uh, you know, definitely sizable companies uh, that they that they represent with their solution and seems to have a, a pretty deep amount of functionality, uh, again, from what I've seen. One question I did have for you, and I think this is something because it's relatively new or at least there's a lot more conversation around it. 
maybe you could explain the difference between the the kind of newer headless uh you know technology versus uh kind of the traditional and what maybe impact that has on performance uh or you know kind of the solution itself whether that's user interface or you know is if it's strictly performance based so honestly speaking i think the best way to think about headless versus the other experience is going to be okay whether you want to design the e-commerce solution that is going to be slightly more developer friendly versus business friendly in the e-commerce world that's how typically uh, these forces work okay <laughs> So when you talk about headless, what you are talking about is, uh, you know, the composable commerce where each of the component of the page uh, is going to be a code block that you can rip and replace uh, versus you are going to have some sort of UI. For example, let's say if you compare this with WooCommerce, you know, that is probably the easiest for anybody to be able to understand. Now, WooCommerce or WordPress was always very business friendly that you didn't require uh, as much development background to be able to figure out how WordPress and, and WooCommerce works. But now when you talk about maintenance over the period of time, okay, WooCommerce gets very tricky. If you are just one developer, one marketer, small team, easy peasy, no big deal. But when you have 200 developers working on, on the changes and, you know, you have multiple environments where you have to promote the change, you have to do sort of the change management. That's where, uh, you know, the, 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 the trick really is. So that's where, uh, you know, you probably would gain far more efficiency from the headless perspective. That's number one. Number two is going to be overall experience. Typically, when you are going to be designing a very UI friendly platform for business users, for marketers, you don't necessarily have that much of customizability. OK, so in the case of headless, you are going to have very custom experience. Uh, you can design the e-commerce experience the way you like. You are not going to be limited by, okay, you can only drag this element from here to here, okay? And these things matter more from the conversion perspective uh, if you look at the real uh, e-commerce experience. So traditionally, if you look at how businesses typically operated, if you look at slightly larger businesses, they could not survive on these standardized boilerplate platforms and they had to develop these things from scratch. So obviously that, you know, they had to invest a lot uh, in terms of development. So now you have this category, which is headless, which is going to be slightly more reusable, composable, uh, which can give you a lot more mileage overall from the customizability perspective. But then you don't have to start everything from scratch. So that's where I sort of, you know, draw the line. So this is going to be very business friendly. This is very ERP centric experience. OK, when you think about this platform, so you are going to get very UI driven experience but it's not going to be as limiting as your woocommerce or wordpress here you are going to get enterprise grade capabilities but that is also going to be friendly for your business users to be able to customize yeah i mean that's really interesting and a and a good breakdown again because one of the things that i saw when i was reviewing for this discussion is the fact that you know they they started with pretty heavy ab testing yeah. and you know so it's interesting how what you just unpacked for everybody how that ultimately works its way into a situation like a b testing and when you're talking about e-commerce specifically where you have issues like abandoned carts and driving those conversions how small a b testing in this headless environment how quickly you can probably iterate those changes and see uh, some real results uh, from from that testing and having all of that as one um, solution within the solution, if you will, uh, is really interesting. So uh, glad uh, glad we took a minute to unpack all of that. I, I think that'll be helpful for people to to understand. Great points, Dave. So let's uh, move along on the slides. Um, so now here we are talking about. And by the way, I mean since you mentioned the point about. Uh, A-B testing, uh, API Server and Optimizely, we are using two different names. Optimizely is the new acquisition that they have acquired. And Optimizely was known for this sort of, you know, A-B testing, multivariate testing. Uh, the digital experience platform uh, is the right name in the enterprise space if you really think about the whole capabilities. So they acquired Optimizely. That's how they got all of these A-B testing capabilities. But then they ended up changing the name. So API Server right now is known as Optimizely, even though if you look at the acquisition cycle, 
okay, Appy Server was much bigger company, much bigger brand. They ended up acquiring a new kid called Optimize Lee, and they ended up changing the name because obviously Optimize Lee was far bigger from the, the brand perspective, but they didn't have as much market share. So that's a very interesting play there, Dave. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I thought that was a really interesting decision. But, you know, I mean, it, it, it comes back to and I know it's a bit off topic, but it, it does take note. You know, it really comes back to to building yep. uh, brand and market presence. Uh, and, and even if you're, you know, the little guy on the block, so to speak, <laughs> you may have something of, of extreme value that uh, that other people see in that. So, you know, that's that's the branding and marketing lesson for today, for sure. Interesting, really interesting. Exactly. And I think they wanted to get rid of that, you know, legacy name, because sometimes, you know, if you think about Oracle ATG, nobody thinks about Oracle ATG as the cool kid. And that's why everybody in the market is trying to change their name. For example, you know, if you look at Salesforce, SAP, Oracle, they all change their names right now. Everybody is calling themselves as Commerce Cloud. Uh, you know, just because everybody wants to get that. So that's probably the driver why these guys had to change their name as well, because nobody's thinking Appy Server as new kid and they might not even buy uh, Appy Server just because of the name. So so that's a very interesting move. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so here, uh, you know, we have some commentary here. Obviously, they have been always in the uh, e-commerce space. Uh, you know, they are fairly uh, old company. If you look at the other e-commerce platforms, uh, how long they have been in the market. So since 1994. And for e-commerce company, in my mind, uh, that's a long time in general. Um, so the first version of Episode CMS that was branded. And by the way, these guys are on Microsoft.NET framework. So you don't have a ton of e-commerce players in the market that are going to be on .NET. There are some that are going to be on Java. A lot of them are probably going to be on either PHP. Uh, PHP is the, the, the main force in the e-commerce community. For example, if you look at some of the big guns, Magento and any of the other ones, they all are primarily PHP. Some are on Java and uh, I guess Sitecore is on .NET and this one is on .NET. So which is uh, you know slightly different overall based on what uh, the web development community or the e-commerce development community might be of use might be used to have seen and by the way they have not changed the platform it is still on dotnet in the background so that's going to be a little decision that you have to make that if you are looking for any sort of customizability then you need to have that dotnet expertise if you are going to be utilizing that platform sam do you suppose that that is the real reason behind the push to make some of these solutions much more focused around kind of the no code feel be you know with with kind of you know not necessarily like a legacy uh language right but that inability to maybe find somebody that can do some of the uh the programming on the back end or those customizations with those other um you know programming languages or or um does that make sense? I, I just yeah, it does. So let me try to unpack that, I guess, and then maybe uh, you can follow up with some more commentary there. So, you know, I have always believed that no code was always this uh, marketing hype, to be honest. No code did not really mean anything. Okay. If you look at the whole <laughs> no code movement in the e-commerce space, you look at, you know, WordPress or this particular platform. So when you are making this business friendly, in my mind, that's no code. Okay. Because, you know, marketers are never going to code and they are not going to be as comfortable with coding. So you are sort of giving them these placeholders that, okay, even if you know sort of the basic CSS, JavaScript, then you can probably play around with the platform. But underneath, you are running a real programming language. Underneath, you are running a real IT system. So if you want the, if you want to figure out, okay, how you are going to be customizing this, when you are going to outgrow the customization from the overall uh, the hooks that they may have provided to you <laughs> in order to sort of create your website, then you need to know the underlying programming language. So here, I don't know if the no-code argument is really relevant. This is going to be very no-code, uh, you know, from the marketing perspective, from the business perspective, because the only thing you are doing is you are changing a bunch of images, you are changing, you are creating the content pages without knowing the, the code, but let's say if you have to play with the code, then you have to go to .NET and, 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 and then only you will be able to modify 
um, the platform. I don't know if I answered your question, Dave. I, yeah, I think you did. I, I was kind of going in a different place with it, but but yeah, you did for me, um, and, it, and it makes sense. I guess I was trying to say, you know, with some of the solutions that want it to be that no code, but yet still offer all of that customizability, you know, is that the reason that they're pushing for? But, you know, to your point, in that kind of no code world, right? There there are limitations because you exactly. can't build in every scenario under the sun like you can when you touch the actual underlying code. So I think that makes sense uh, for anybody that was able to follow uh, that back and forth. But I, I do think it makes sense. And, and I think it's important to uh, to understand those differences to to really know what kind of impact and overall flexibility that you have with a system like this. How how far can you grow with it, really? Yeah, and to be completely honest, it's kind of funny because you know people are pushing for no code, but they are also pushing for headless. And the reason why headless exists is because the whole no code movement, especially in the e-commerce space, did not work, and that's why they are moving to headless. But then at the same time, people are pushing for no code as well. So you know, I never believed in no code. Yes, no code is important because you know that provides some merits uh, in certain cases when you will be able to reduce your development time. But for the most part, you need to evaluate your option. Okay, what are you looking for from the business perspective and what is going to be your drivers in selecting a platform? So in general, I don't believe in no code movement in general. (laughs) It's, you know, it's, it it always comes back to what you just said, though, really understanding, you know, your business. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, just everything dials back to that. It, It seems so simple, but it's so true on, you know, so many different levels. Exactly, exactly. All right, so let's move along here. So here uh, it's saying the company combined its software into the AppServer Digital Experience Cloud in June 2015. AppServer launched the first major release of its platform following the Ectron merger. And you are actually going to find a lot of different acquisitions here. They have been very active since 2012. They have acquired a lot of different capabilities. And Dave, overall, if you look at even the e-commerce space, uh, you know, there are many different capabilities that you need to have as part of your e-commerce portfolio. And that's why these acquisitions are super handy. Uh, and we all know that the whole e-commerce space grew a lot. In fact, right now, it is growing even more. You know, it's getting a lot more ERP capabilities. So I don't know where companies are going to draw the line or where platforms are going to end up. But for the most part, the e-commerce is definitely going to grow because the channels are becoming very complex. Uh, the customer experience is becoming very complex. The whole omni-channel, multi-channel experience is becoming very complex as well. So we will see a lot more acquisition uh, in this particular space. Uh, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. It'll be interesting to see where people, you know, where, where these businesses kind of start and stop. And what I mean by that is, you know, at what point do they stop developing and acquiring to put something underneath their umbrella yep. versus, you know, focus on their core capabilities and not get, you know, kind of sidetracked by, well, we need to add this functionality. We need to add that functionality versus integrating, picking a partner or a series of partners and integrating. Because I, I do believe that, you know, a lot of these platforms that end up coming up, and and this probably isn't a great example, the one we're reviewing today, but you see this where, you know, they kind of overinvest in in all of these things. And then you're kind of left like, well, what is the core function, Uh, you know, and then, and, and do I really want to be tied into this one solution versus being able to kind of take, you know, best of all worlds and and have those integrations. So I, I think it's going to be interesting with how, much of a shift business in general is going e-commerce and and needing better tools, needing better analytics, needing better, you know, front end for customer, internal for, you know, customer service folks. Um, It's, I don't know, I think it's going to be an interesting journey over the next, you know, probably 10 years um, before it all shakes itself out. Exactly. It has always been a journey and it's going to be a journey. Okay. (laughs) There is no certainty in terms of how the journey is going to be uh, shaping up in the next 10 years. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. So we will review some more slides here. So here, this is the Actron merger and that's where they got a lot of different capabilities. And we are reviewing some of the slides from the history, the way they evolved overall from the platform perspective. So this is from 2015. 
And what they had done is EpiServer name uh, continue to use the Ektron and EpiServer brands as a community of more than 8,800 customers in some 30 countries and a network of more than 880 partners. And I believe this is going to be for the combined entity. So obviously they had a lot of customers. 8,800 in general is a lot. Now, if you're going to compare this to Shopify or any other uh, platforms, obviously they are going to have a lot more because you are looking for very small customers of them may not even have, let's say the, you know, 100,000 in, in the much total revenue, e-commerce revenue. So that's typically very low. So if, if you look at uh, Shopify market share, big commerce market share, WooCommerce market share, they are going to have far bigger numbers. But here we are talking about that upper to mid segment that is probably not going to have as big numbers. But in general, when you talk about the slightly bigger customers, 8,800 is a is a very good number in my mind. Now, here, one of the uh, interesting move that they have had was they had the executive from SAP, Ed Berger is, is the current CEO, and he came from the SAP customer experience team, which obviously is a big deal for API Server. And that's when they started doing a lot more things, uh, interesting things, including your optimized acquisition. So here, I, I think uh, this whole shakeup uh, shaped how API Server evolved overall as a company, and this is what happened when uh, you know the former CEO, former SAP CEO left, you know who's Bill, and then uh, you know Esberger's background. If you pay attention to where they came from, and sometimes that actually drives how the product offering is going to evolve. So his background is from Ariba, as well as he was the president of the Commerce One. So obviously he has a lot of background in SAP Hybris, and that's why, you know, a lot of things that are happening at API Server at this point of time, they are driven by, uh, you know, his background. Um, so in my mind, that's a very positive move. That's a, that's a lot of value overall for API Server. Now, some more notes here. So, uh, Dave, the commerce tools and uh, content stack are going to be one of the sexiest tools in the headless space at this point of time. And seems like these guys sort of knew that these kids existed in the market uh, and, you know, they are forming their strategy after they have watched them. So as such, they have not changed their strategy completely to headless. What they are trying to do is, hey, I will act as more of the commerce player. So in the e-commerce space as well, you are going to have this commerce layer, which is going to be slightly more API driven. That's going to be your transactional aspect. And then you have the CMS. The CMS experience is going to be that, you know, the business experience that I, I spoke about. Okay, you designer, you marketer, you do the pretty things here as part of your CMS so that you don't have to talk to the code. But once you are a little serious in your transaction, then you have to come through the API layer. So that's how they are approaching the market. Uh, you know, they always felt that, you know, commerce tools and content stack uh, was supposed to be part of their ecosystem. So they have a marketplace and they probably have the integration for that as well. So that's a very interesting mention. They are not seeing them as the competitor. They are seeing them as the collaborator. Okay. So now some more uh, news uh, as we sort of move ahead in terms of time. So here, this is the news from 2019, I believe, or 2020. So this is the Optimize Lee acquisition announcement. So here it's saying Optimize Lee was founded in 2009. By two executives, it became synchronous with AB testing, not synchronous, synonymous, uh, you know, synonymous with AB testing. And that's where the, the whole brand power came. Uh, and uh, here they are saying they had uh, only 1,000 customers. Uh, we saw that API Server had 8,800 customers. So overall, from the market share and the customer share perspective, they were far stronger. These guys had only 1,000 customers, but still they decided to change it to optimize Lee, which is a very interesting uh, uh, play there. And then if you look at the valuation, by the way, XL was the investor, XLKKR uh, uh, was the investor in this one. And Dave, I don't know if you remember this or not. Uh, they were investor in Apicor. They were investor in some other uh, platforms in the industrial distribution space. So they always were very interested in the industrial distribution space. And that's why, uh, you know, KKR invested in this one. They moved away from Epicode for some reason. I don't know why, you know, but they are still investor in this company. And if you compare the valuation in 2018, they were valued at $1.1 billion. So if you look at this valuation, 
it is very comparable with your uh, i believe striker uh, commerce tools commerce tools is uh, and and bloomreach as well bloomreach is the digital experience platform uh, they are somewhere in 2.5 billion uh, your uh, striker and commerce tools if my recollection is right they are somewhere in 2 billionish uh, you know dollar as well which is very comparable so investors are seeing this platform uh, you know as very highly valued and in my mind i can see why they are seeing that so i like the way this one is valued uh, you know similar to other platforms in the market as well overall you know if you look at the structure of the this is the cms uh, structure this is how your cms is going to look so uh, this is where your brand marketers and the designers uh, and you know front end developers they can probably spend a lot more time uh, in configuring your cms so it's going to be very similar experience as the other platforms the nuances are going to be in the specific feature set that you are going to find so here one of the differentiator that you are going to find in this is going to be okay when you look at the smaller platforms they will not be able to support multi brand multi sites as part of the same platform here you are supporting all of that we saw that in the case of oracle commerce that you can move around your changes from your one brand to other brand you can do your centralized publishing and that's where the enterprise capabilities are going to be handy uh, you know those are the enterprise capabilities for the most part uh, you know api server can support those capabilities as well so it's a very uh, you know refined enterprise platform yeah i mean i i think that kind of gets back to you know laying out the big differences between when we're talking you know b2b versus b2c um you know generally you're, you're in the b2c environment and you're not gonna you're not gonna be managing multiple brands uh you know i mean there's definitely cases for that but i, I to me i i think that's the differentiator of you know a platform like you know uh, a woocommerce a big commerce uh, all, all of those types of things that were not built with that same um you know level of functionality there's definitely ways to do it um uh, but something like this is a lot more elegant when it comes to managing multiple multiple brands uh in that you know industrial distribution uh space in particular yeah so just one quick clarification there dave so you are going to see a lot of micro sites and multiple brands even in the case of b2c space okay that's very common and the reason for that is because you know if you are going to have very complicated messaging when you are going to be carrying let's say a million skus okay it becomes very confusing for customers to be able to search on one site so they are going to have these micro sites okay this is my brand site for this particular brand or this particular collection so they most companies even in the b2c space they have multiple sites uh, but let's say if you are going to be on a smaller platform the management of that brand becomes very 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 inconvenient and that's where the enterprise platforms offer that capabilities okay you have to manage those sites because you know that's what google wants <laughs> but from the it maintenance perspective you want to make sure that you are able to manage all of these as part of one platform otherwise it's probably going to be a nightmare when you are going to be publishing changes across these sites yeah i mean i could see that and and i guess i didn't realize so in in that b2c environment with the multiple is is that more like um would that be more like a let's say a manufacturer that has uh private labeling capabilities or, or something like that where there's kind of mini brands with within the brand infrastructure is that more along the lines of what it would be i'm just trying to put together like yeah. a, a an example of what that would be in the b2c space so it could be anything to be honest i'll give you a real example for example let's say if we are dealing with one of the sharpener company right so they are going to have uh, i think the major segmentation always and let me not confuse uh, you know people with that example i guess and that's probably not the best example typically that is going to be based on the product category and that's going to be based on the the customer journey of how customers are are shopping sometimes you know let's say if you are going to have very expensive product and that you are going to mix uh, with a very pretty product that becomes a very confusing experience from the customer journey perspective so typically the way brands like to approach they are always going to have multiple brands but you know they are going to be segregating based on the category how they are selling sometimes that could be based on private label uh, you are absolutely right but you know for the most part that is going to be based on how the customer journeys are structured got it yeah i mean i would think in any other solution 
from an infrastructure perspective, any other solution that you're trying to manage something like that, at least the experiences that I've had, that could be a, a, a real nightmare when it comes to keeping things up to date and, and pushing out changes as compared to, you know, a platform or a solution that's really built to to handle multiple versions, if you will, or multiple brands, websites, whatever it happens to be. So uh, interesting. Exactly, exactly. Great points. So now we are going to be looking at, and, and this is the CMS experience that I was talking about from the business user perspective. So here, one of the main differentiators that you are going to see in this particular platform is going to be that content tree. And this whole content tree is extremely difficult when you are going to be looking at these smaller platforms, for example, WordPress, okay? The whole, if you have to navigate from one page to the next, it becomes very hard and confusing, okay, how these uh, pages are structured. Here, you are looking at the navigation the way you are probably going to be navigating on the website. Now, this experience we have not seen in any other platform so far. Here, the way this platform is, is designed, is designed from the business user perspective, the way they are going to structure the, the navigation, the same way they can really create the pages as well. Now, if you look at the whole, uh, you know, the content structure, the way the content uh, reusable blocks are structured for you to be able to sort of utilize them and create the brand experience the way you would like. Now, that's very, very, very deep, the way, uh, you know, this is done. Uh, typically, you are going to run into a lot of challenges when you are going to be utilizing these smaller platforms, and then you need to customize, you need to probably use a richer theme, you need to hire developers, and that's where this can provide a lot more customizability without touching the code. So I don't know if you are going to call this no-code experience, probably, <laughs> but this no-code experience has been there for the last, what, 20 years, uh, <laughs> and no-code was a thing, uh, was not a thing. So here, in my mind, uh, this is very neat from the business user perspective that they don't have to learn coding, but still they have uh, a lot of customizability. But again, developers are not going to like this because obviously there are going to be a lot of limitations uh, overall from the maintenance perspective in the long term. And that's the whole reason why companies are moving towards headless. Go ahead, Dave. I was just going to say, Sam, I, I don't want to read too much into it, but but you know, noticing on this screenshot where it has underneath the homepage, the home and the home you know, dash promo. I, I wonder if that kind of alludes to in this tree structure, the ability to execute on some of that A-B testing. And, you know, back to the point of if 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 it is, and this is how that kind of view is set up, um, you know, you can see, I can see the value in being able to see something like that very quickly and see what tests you have kind of in play and, and going, um, you know, as, compared to some of the other solutions and having to try to navigate around to find uh, particular pages or particular, you know, reusable content blocks or what have you. Um, so I'm not sure if that's the case, but if it is, uh, I agree with you that that's, it's a pretty neat feature um, how this is laid out. I like that. So I will add a little clarification there overall in terms of how these digital experience platform or the AB testing platform that you seem to be referring uh, work. So typically, if you look at the whole e-commerce experience, uh, you can probably divide this in two different segments. One is going to be development and publishing of your pages. The second is going to be that measurement and the optimization of pages, right? So when you are going to be building and publishing your pages, at that time, you are probably not worried about A-B testing. A-B testing is going to be handy once your pages are already built and published. And that's when what you can do is with the publishing platform, they can rip and replace a lot of different components on your pages. For example, let's say if you want to change a color of a button, okay? So you don't have to change the existing code, which is already published, that is published on the website. So typically the whole idea of A-B testing or digital experience platform is going to be either you can define these rules outside of your publishing cycle and release cycle. I don't know what word to use here or, or phrase, yeah. <laughs> but you know, you have the publishing cycle and then you have the experimentation cycle, how you want to experiment that. And typically those two are going to be very separate. Here, what you are looking at, Dave, is this is the publishing platform that you are trying to utilize to publish. And then if you have to sort of define those rules and that we are going to see on the other slides where you are going to be de designing the rules. Okay, if you have user number one, 
okay that is going to have age 35 then they are going to be married then show this <laughs> so okay, good 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 yeah. yeah well thanks for clarifying that because I, I wasn't sure but um I, I like how that breaks down it makes a lot more sense but great question thank you so much dave for that so now i am actually moving to the other slide so here again i like the hierarchy the way this is structured to be honest okay and the reason why this is so powerful is because number one you have that navigation structure that i was talking about which is not going to feel as natural when you are going to look at the smaller platform and here what you can do is you can literally create the page right on the structure itself as opposed to sort of going back if you look at uh, sort of the woocommerce experience or any other platforms they are not going to have as intuitive experience they are going to have a screen where you can design the pages but how that page relates to the other pages or the component is the, that becomes very confusing overall. So this is a very good experience from the business user perspective. The other uh, things that I noticed in this particular platform, when I look at the deeper B2B capabilities, uh, those are going to be, for example, let's say if you look at SAP Hybris, here, if you are going to look at the, uh, the checkout page, and this is the checkout page, Dave. So in the SAP Hybris, you are going to find some more options. So one of that is going to be replenishment orders. Now, I could not see the replenishment orders functionality in this platform, which is probably going to be a need these days for most e-commerce brands. The other thing that I could not notice is the whole layer for the cart functionality. Okay, so that's where I think the differentiation is between sort of the upper mid versus the enterprise platform. Enterprise platforms are going to have a lot more data layers in terms of defining those shopping lists. The way we were reviewing in the Epicore uh, not Epicore. Yesterday we reviewed in four cloud suite distribution and that had the shopping list. Now you have the one to one correlation between your e commerce platform as well as ERP platform. So when you are going to be integrating these two, the more alignment you have, the easier your integration is going to be. Otherwise, it becomes terribly difficult to integrate these systems. So that is something that I could not see in this platform. And that's where the, the limitation is in my mind. It's a great platform, but it's not going to have as deep enterprise capabilities as you are going to find in SAP Hybris uh, or uh, even Spryker had for deeper B2B capabilities than this platform. Okay, so some more things that I noticed, which is just fascinating. Okay, so you have out of the box integration with a lot of different ERP systems. For example, uh, you know, any of the ones, Dave, that we have reviewed as part of the ERP series. So anybody who's going to be focused on the industrial distribution space, by the way, this could be a great way of finding out who is actually positioned in the industrial distribution space. <laughs> so whichever ERP you are going to find here, they are probably targeted for industrial distribution because nobody has time and money to, to build integration for every other platform. So here we are looking at enable SXC integration and SXC as we concluded was positioned for industrial distribution. If you look at Profit 21, industrial distribution. Uh, IFS is a very interesting in integration to be honest. Okay, I don't see IFS as more of the distribution candidate, but seems like they are selling a lot uh, in the distribution space as well. So that's a very interesting integration for me. Acumatica has always been very strong in manufacturing and distribution. They are doing really well in the industrial distribution space as well. So Acumatica is a great fit here. Then we have Fax. Fax is owned by Infor. That is the old platform. So you have integration for, for that. Uh, now there is going to be a little migration path there for the fax user, either on Profit21, uh, not Profit21, sorry, uh, fax is from Infor. So that's going to be on the Cloud Suite distribution that they must be trying to migrate uh, users. And then you have another one called IFS. So all of these integrations are out of the box, which is a big deal in my mind. I have not seen this in any other platform which provides this deep uh, integration capabilities. So kudos to Episerver and Optimize Lee that they are providing all of this out of the box. Okay, so now this is where the promotion capabilities are going to be. And this is very interesting for me as well. And if Phil were here in this show, we'll probably be debating a lot because, you know, <laughs> and the reason for that is because typically in, if you look at this from the ERP perspective, ERP guys always think that, you know what, this should reside inside your ERP. Why do you have promotion inside your e-commerce? But promotion is going to have a place inside e-commerce as well. And the reason for that is, Anytime you are going to be using the psychographic information related to your consumer and that information, if that does not reside inside your ERP, 
then probably promotion is going to have a place inside your e-commerce. Now, the way you are going to architect this is, uh, you know, you could have, you could be consuming the promotional information from your ERP in your integration flows, okay? So it, there could be a case that this information may not be produced uh, inside this e-commerce platform, but you need to have this information and the rules inside your e-commerce platform to be able to execute this promotion and make sure that you are applying right promotion to the right customer. In general, that integration is probably going to be very difficult. But since, especially in this platform, it is already pre-integrated, so you are probably going to get all of this out of the box. So you don't have to worry about you know mapping and, and integration, all of that. But overall, I like the way promotions are structured. They are very deep for the B2B scenarios. And typically in the B2B space, you are going to require very deep layers of promotion. It's going to be based on your customer, customer group, buy one, get one, uh, buy 100, get two free, uh, you know, buy 200, get 20%. You know, all of those scenarios, they get really complicated the way they work because you are looking at multiple layers of correlation that you need to mix and match. And the more you have, the more marketers are going to be happy. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Dave, now this is the point where you were talking about the A-B testing. So this is a very key piece of functionality. And by the way, I mean, you know, we have the LinkedIn slide here, so you will be able to relate with this a lot more. Okay, so here, what you are trying to do is you are trying to literally replace the either button text or the color or the layout of that button on a live page. So for example, let's say if you are testing this on LinkedIn and as a marketer, you need to test, okay, which messaging is working, which positioning of the button is working on a, uh, on a, uh, uh, website, right? You can do that using the testing. So here, what your platform is going to do is it's going to grab the ID of the element and it's going to replace that ID you, <laughs> you, you using using that. So that's how these platforms typically work. They are either going to replace a little HTML, a little JavaScript, uh, you know, so that they can embed all of that experience. And that's how they typically work. So that's where you are going to get a lot more control uh, in controlling your sort of ripping apart and then building again uh, without actually touching your publishing workflow because you don't want to change your website just yet, okay? Uh, this is only for the for the testing. Okay, so this is uh, what they are trying to show overall from the experience perspective, how they are trying to change. So here, uh, I think in this particular workflow, uh, you are trying to change, okay, in the LinkedIn, let's say rather than you are saying sign up, if you say start networking, okay, what are users going to do? So this is just a very simple test that you could do, uh, you know, but you can combine these tests. Uh, you can you can have a lot of different algorithm there overall for your testing. And then you can see what's working for you. And then finally, you can see. So that's where the power of your digital experience platform uh, or the optimized D platform is going to be. And that's probably the reason why they have acquired this. Sam, when it comes to implementing these changes, then after you've gone through and done some of these variations, is it as simple as, you know, kind of clicking a button to push them to the website? Or do you then still have to go back and actually edit the pages and, and kind of replicate the changes that you've made uh, or the changes that you've tested? So depending upon the platform, depending upon how the platform is implemented, in general, it should be plug and play. So you should not be impacting your uh, the existing workflow. You are not necessarily changing the pages, what you are doing. And that's where the headless experience is handy as well. Because in that, you can literally try, okay, for this audience, it's going to be a completely different page. For this audience, it's going to be a complete, completely different page or this component or this component without changing the actual page uh, or you know having 10,000 instances of the same page uh, inside your publishing workflow because that could come across as very crowded. So overall, the management and maintenance is going to be slightly easier as well. So the whole workflow is built inside the tool itself so that you don't have to worry about all of what uh, you mentioned. Yeah, interesting. So this is the analytical uh, you know, workflow. So again, you are looking inside your optimized lead tool where you are going to get all of this uh, you know, workflow based on whatever test you might be running. And once your test confirms that, okay, this is what works and this is what I want to include as part of my ongoing publishing workflow, then you sort of implement those changes inside your main website, uh, you know, whatever workflow. This is another complex workflow that they try to implement. By the way, Optimizely is one of the most intuitive platform overall from the multivariate or the A-B testing perspective. If you look at 
you know, some of the other tools that we have reviewed, you know, that is going to be your uh, SAP Hybris as well as Salesforce Commerce, they all have that digital commerce capabilities, uh, but it's not going to be as intuitive as what you are going to feel in Optimizely. And, you know, they have mentioned that Optimizely was the was synonymous for A-B testing. And there is a reason for that because it was so easy to use for marketers. So here you are trying to replace this link and probably the layout as well. So here you can control, okay, how many products do you want to show to a specific audience? So that's what they are trying to build this scenario for. And by the way, Happy Server is also used by a lot of different content, uh, you know, website and the, and the platform. For example, let's say if you look at news publishing organization, for them, they don't care for commerce. They care for that content experience. And in content, the A-B testing is going to be very different than how it is going to be for commerce. So this is very news-centric experience, uh, publishing-centric experience that is very different from your commerce experience. So that's another point to note there. Now, here, uh, you know, again, you can build a very complex workflow. In my mind, if I look at the, the multivariate testing, they are fairly similar. Even though this platform is not going to be as enterprise-y, as your SAP Hybris or Oracle Commerce or Salesforce Commerce, but overall from the digital experience perspective, I think it's probably going to have very similar capabilities, uh, if not more. And that's where the real strength is of this platform that you are probably not going to be paying as much as SAP Hybris or Salesforce Commerce uh, because they get really expensive. Okay, but you are still getting that experimentation platform that is going to be part of the same platform. With Shopify, BigCommerce, you are probably looking at Bloomreach, which is again going to be very, very, very expensive just for the A-B testing platform. Okay, so we have some reviews here. Uh, so let's review some of the things that people like. So number one review is coming. This is very recent. Uh, I think how Optimizely Appy Server compares three years later. So my assumption is going to be they have utilized this for at least three years. The company is the non-profit organization and company has 11 to 50 employees. Now, when I look at this customer persona, in my mind, I think they should go for something like WordPress or something like that. I don't know why they would go for this heavy platform if they are going to be 11 to 50 employees in size. So this is probably not the best fit in general. Uh, so we might have some of the comments just because, you know, their experience is not going to be as aligned uh, based on where the product is targeted. Go ahead, Dave. Uh, Sam, I wonder if, and, and you know, this is kind of just a, a, a question really, but I wonder if it's because they are, um, managing content for nonprofit organizations. So back to that kind of multi-brand and the ability to kind of control that from an elevated, you know, that that potentially would make sense to me if that's the if that's their mo their business model, which would explain the kind of low employee count, but yet the need to manage multi-brand. You are absolutely right, to be honest, and that would have been the driver. So again, you know, employee size is not the only indicator to see which platform is going to be right fit for them. But you are right, not-for-profit organizations could be very heavy in publishing and the content game. So they require a very heavy platform. Uh, so we'll review the, the comments and then we can determine if that is the driver. So here they are saying organized website architecture, uh, manage media assets effectively. So... That is the DEM capability, uh, Dave. So that is going to be your digital asset management capability. Okay. So that's typically, if you're going to go for, let's say, Shopify or BigCommerce, you are probably going to require five or six different tools. Here, you are getting everything as part of the same platform for your asset management as well. So here, the complaints, let's review the complaints. So here, they are saying, enables the end user customer to create new layouts or templates, uh, you know, but that comment does not make sense in my mind. OK, because our assumption was going to be that, OK, this is very business friendly and the user friendly. So you should not have problems creating the templates. But this user is complaining. And the reason why they must be complaining is because either they are coming from that WordPress experience and they are looking for very simple layout. So sometimes these enterprise platforms could be very complex for them. But again, the, that's why the size matters a lot, uh, you know, of the business. So that. Uh, that comment does not make sense to me why this particular user has that problem. So let's review some of them. Excessive developer costs are needed to support any changes to blocks, templates, and functionality. And that is right as well. We are looking for .NET developer, not PHP developer. PHP developers are going to be for cheaper. In general, the rate that they are going to charge. Here, we are talking about mainstream developers, which is going to be .NET. Obviously, .NET is far more expensive. So that's why that comment does make sense. 
So then they are saying free training to offset high support cost and unlock community of developers. That's going to be true with any platform, to be honest. You know, when you are using any IT capabilities, uh, make sure you have some change there to pay. <laughs> uh, you know, specialized agencies and developers are needed. Uh, obviously, they, you need that because you are looking at a very enterprise platform. No efficient means to manage URL. Okay, this is a very specific trend that we have seen in a lot of different comments, and that is to manage the redirect functionality centrally. Okay, so this is the complaint that a lot of users have mentioned, and that is shocking for me. Okay, personally, because when you are looking at the enterprise centric platform, you would guess that at least you will have the redirect functionality that you can manage centrally. But in this particular case, they don't seem to have that. And if you are going to have 50,000 pages, if you are a media publishing or news organization, good luck with that. <laughs> okay, Google is going to <laughs> not like you at all. Uh, <laughs> uh, or you are going to have hard time there. Language translation is extremely cumbersome if translating an existing website. So again, that's similar complaint that I have seen with the other users as well. And then they are saying, you know, for some users, if they are not technical enough and preach, they know it all, specifically those. So, okay, so this user is trying to talk about some of the developers who are going to be coming from the WordPress community, but they are not going to like the platform just because it could feel very bloated. And that's the right comment as well. As you grow in your enterprise capabilities, you know, there's going to be a little change there. So you might not appreciate that. And that's why, again, the size matters a lot. Okay, you need to figure out whether you really need the enterprise capabilities uh, or not. That's pretty much it on this one. Training is required for those that are not familiar with the enterprise CMS solution. They are using the enterprise word specifically. So make sure uh, you understand what you are getting into. This is a very enterprise-centric platform, which is going to have very deep capabilities that you are never going to have in your uh, you know, WordPress uh, Shopify. So you are looking at a very sophisticated platform, but know how to drive that, okay? Uh, you know, get some training there. Uh, otherwise you are going to be struggling. Uh, you are looking at roughly six months end-to-end -to, -end to do it right. Three months if you have a stellar dev team or many experienced resources. Trying to shoehorn out an MVT solution uh, in a, I think they meant MVP uh, solution in a shorter time frame without the seller team typically leads to greater, greater costs uh, post-launch to cover all the shortcomings of the CMS that should have been included for launch. Uh, you know, anger senior leadership. I, I agree with the assessment there overall from the time perspective that you probably need six months, uh, you know, for this uh, specific implementation. Here they are saying we are in the process of migrating additional sites from site core. So the migration is coming from site core. So now you can guess from here that you know, people, when they outgrow Sitecore, they are probably going to be moving to EpiServer, uh, you know, but this is just one variable. Uh, but this seems to be enterprise platform, so I can see why companies would be moving from Sitecore to uh, to your EpiServer. Also, Sitecore is, especially when we uh, talk to our customers and read the reviews, Sitecore tends to be slightly more clunky overall in the way it is structured. This is going to be slightly friendlier for the business users and that is another reason why companies move uh, to EpiServer. Um, then uh, email marketing functionality, I'm not too sure if you want to utilize that as part of your commerce platform. Uh, I would rather use another e email marketing solution that is really designed for that. Uh, you are not going to get the experience that you look for uh, inside the e-commerce uh, platform. What else do we have here? In integration with single sign-on, again, enterprise capability. Uh, if you are very enterprise-centric company, then you are probably going to require that. Uh, then here they are saying we are moving off from site core, which is another validation. That's what I mentioned that they are moving off from that uh, because they are finding uh, Optimizely to be slightly more user-friendly. Uh, it took almost one year to launch our first website. So now you can imagine the amount of investment that is going to require uh, to build this one. And by the way, this is a very small company. Uh, you know, this is the school company and they have roughly what 51 to 200 employees. So you can imagine how much effort that goes in in building these platforms. Let me see if I have anything else here. Hot swapping. OK, so hot swapping is another one which is a you know phenomenal feature that you probably are going to require. And if your platform does not support that, then you are probably going to have a lot of issues and seems like EpiServer has that capability. So again, going back to my comment about those enterprise features, uh, you know, these are the features that are going to matter a lot when you have very strong 
content development team, you have 200 content contributors in your team, that's when you are probably going to be needing this particular uh, platform. So that's, uh, I'm actually going to pause there for any commentary, Dave, uh, you might have. Yeah, I mean, really interesting platform. I definitely learned some new things today uh, going through this. So so very interesting. Um, and it's interesting, as I mentioned early on, to kind of it, it will be interesting to continue to see how these platforms and solutions develop, uh, you know, kind of like the, uh, you know, the ERP solutions, uh, what what those roadmaps look like. And, and kind of to your point um, about the email marketing, you know, I think that's one one area where you know again it's interesting to see what 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 the solutions include and what people like and dislike about them and you know if that's not your core functionality you're you're you would probably be better off uh, including an integration like they have with so many ERP systems and, and making that the value, really focusing in on the core. Uh, so it's, it's interesting to see. They definitely have, uh, some, some pretty robust plans, I would say, just based on their, uh, previous acquisition strategy and what it looks like they're doing. But it looks like a tremendous, you know, solution here in one for, uh, when, when again, when you understand your business and you understand your processes and what you're trying to do, um, you know, this looks like a, a very viable solution for many, many businesses uh, with a lot of good things kind of behind it, a, a, you know, seemingly strong uh, investment capital uh, standpoint. So, I, you know, really interesting. Could not agree more. I think this uh, particular solution has a bright future. Uh, they are really strong in that industrial distribution capabilities. We saw that they are also very strong in that media publishing uh, vertical where they have very deep content uh, management capabilities, especially for the business users. So I'm super pumped and positive about this uh, solution. And, and I really like the way uh, they are approaching the market. Dave, any other final comment before we wrap? I, I just had a question for you, Sam. Do you have any uh, feel for, you know, from a pricing standpoint, is this, is it per user, per seat, those types of things? I I see everything, uh, at least that I could see, was gated on their uh, website. So I wasn't sure if you had any experience to understand uh, how this maybe compares uh, to some of the other, you know, sizable uh, solutions out there. So uh, that's a great point, and I'm glad that you brought that in because that is one of their differentiators, to be honest, okay? So if you look at the most modern SaaS platforms, they typically charge based on the GMB, uh, gross uh, you know, merchandise value, and that is going to be, okay, how many e-commerce transactions you are doing? If you are doing $2 million business in e-commerce, they are going to be cutting the percentage uh, on top of that. Uh, Episerver, the way they price, uh, I think they are thinking more. I don't think they, they charge based on GMB, but don't quote me on this one. And by the way, I mean, see, they, you are going to have far deeper functionality overall because you have a lot more capabilities uh, from your A-B testing perspective, digital experience, digital asset management. That is all going to be bundled as part of the same platform. So you are not paying five or 10 different licenses. So that's a huge value for them. I'm not too sure how they exactly price. It's been a while since I have reviewed them, but I don't think they are going to be similar to your other SaaS platform the way Shopify and BigCommerce is doing. Interesting. Yeah, thanks. All right. Any other final comments, Dave? No, I don't think so. All right, guys. So that's a wrap. If you join for the first time, this was part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one vendor or the solution that we review independently. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another vendor or the solution. On that note, thanks, everyone, for your time and insights. Right. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to the Chrysler.club. It's T-H-E-C-R-Y-S-L-E-R dot C-L-U-B. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Robert Giovini who shares his insights into the e-commerce nuances for furniture manufacturers. Also, the interview with Noemi Kess, who shares her insights into how the water industry works and how its sales cycle differs from other industries. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review 
and reach us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.